Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to Bear Archery's Hunting 101 podcast, where hunters new and old come to learn and find inspiration from stories of hunts gone by. Everyone is welcome to enjoy the outdoor way of life, and there is no better time to start than right now. So let's head into the great outdoors with your host, Dylan Ray. All right, guys, thank you for joining us today on Bear Archery's Hunting 101. Joining me is a couple new friends of mine. We have Dylan Dowson from Onyx. Dylan, how are you, man? Doing good. How about yourself? Man, I'm absolutely wonderful. So real quick, where do you hail from? So originally, I guess I'm uh, born and raised Montanan, um, originally from the eastern side of the state, um, small little town called Glendive over there, kind of by right next to North Dakota. And then currently now I'm living on the western side of the state, so in Missoula, Montana, um, and that's where Onyx was founded. Awesome, man. I uh, actually have some friends who live in Missoula. Um, couldn't tell you anything about where. I've never been up there, but I know they live up there. So, um, And then we have Thomas Crick from Identical yes. Draw. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, brother. So tell us a little bit about where you're from, man. I am uh, not born. I was born in Ohio, but I've been raised in Lincoln, Nebraska. I like to call it the gateway to the West. So been loving it in Nebraska. Absolutely, man. So uh, I think Onyx goes without much um, introduction, really the powerhouse in online scouting. Um, but Dylan, tell us about your role there at Onyx, how long you've been there, how you got there, so on and so forth. Yeah, so I've been with Onyx actually creeping up on five years now. Um, so I started out this August, it'll be five years, and I actually started out in customer service. Um, kind of when at the time customer service, we really were kind of a one man or one person customer service. Um, now just for like size reference in the past five years, we've grown. And now I believe our customer service is somewhere between 12 and 15 people strong, um, possibly even more during the busy season there. So we've grown a lot, but I, I, uh, started out in customer service, taking emails and phone calls from people. And really at the time, um, we were still selling a ton and we still do sell a lot of the micro SD chips, but for anybody who is like pretty recent to Onyx, you know, everybody's familiar with the app on your phone. Um, but we actually started out with a little micro SD chip that we would load each state's data onto that could work in like a Garmin handheld unit, for example. So back when I started, um, you know, we were primarily dealing with chips and, Garmin handheld GPS devices and so on and so forth. So a lot has changed and a lot of technology has changed since then. But um, so I did the customer service side of things for a little over two years. And then I switched over to the marketing team. So now um, I've been fortunate enough to work with um, the identical draw guys and just a lot of our ambassadors and influencers throughout the country 
primarily these days, I'm specifically working with the Western ambassadors um, and then a little bit of like our social media um, and then just day-to-day marketing. Awesome, man. So basically started and worked your way all the way to where you're at now. Um, yeah. So Thomas, man, tell us a little bit about Identical Draw and and, uh, and how that came about and what you guys do. Yeah, for sure. We uh, The birth of Identical Draw was basically March of 2017. Uh, we went to a HB, the Heartland Bowhunter guys. They put on a film school every summer. Um, and we went to that in 2016. And at that camp, we didn't even realize our uh, DSLR, DSLR camera could even shoot video. But we found that out quick. Um, and that's kind of where we started and wanted to take off. So we started just filming the fall of 2017. Didn't know where any of that content was going to go. But then Carbon TV reached out to us. So they have our first season. Uh, ever since then, we've been putting all of our content that we produce on YouTube, either Bear Archery's YouTube channel or our own. But basically, we just we work with companies uh, just like Onyx and we create uh, high quality content for them. So that's the gist. Yeah, and you guys, you guys do it well. Um, I'll you. give you that. Uh, I love the content you guys put out; super high quality. Um, it's fun. Uh, so, so I love watching you guys and following you guys. Um, so we are, we are in our Elk One Hundred and One series. So, so basically, this is episode one of our Elk One Hundred and One series. And through this series, we want to take you from the ground up on how to become an elk hunter. Uh, so we're gonna dive in and talk about scouting. Um, so if you've got a, a, a place you're going to hunt, so say, you know, Colorado or, or Wyoming or, or wherever you might be going to elk hunt, um, how to begin to break down where you're going to hunt once you get there. Um, and we'll kind of go over the steps that, that we take as hunters, uh, when we begin to scout where we're going to be hunting. But before we dive in, I do want to give a quick shout out to some of our awesome friends over at Pope and Young. Uh, you guys hear me rant about them constantly, uh, but they have worked from the beginning to create new opportunities for us as bow hunters. And so their one goal is to promote and preserve uh, our passion for bow hunting. So if you are not a member of Pope and Young, I would highly encourage you to go and become a member because they take, um, you know, our yearly dues, they take them and, and work to provide us new access as bow hunters. So um, what they do is very important and those guys are absolutely incredible. So, uh, no more introduction needed, man. Let's talk about let's talk about scouting uh, for elk. So, the first question I want to ask you guys is: um, once you have picked where you're going to be hunting in the fall, so be it um, Colorado. Let's just say, well, Thomas, where are you going hunting? You said Colorado. Colorado. Yep. All right. So then we'll just choose Colorado. So you're going on a do-it-yourself hunt in Colorado. Um, how do you guys begin breaking down where you're going to hunt? Oh man, that's the million dollar question. I can kind of start with that. Um, I guess I try to, I try to focus on where I'm comfortable. Um, I will basically, if I've been to a state before or anywhere in the state, I'll focus on that. I know, uh, having over the counter tags in Colorado and, and Idaho, for example, are states to definitely start looking at. But, um, I, the first thing to pick out is what unit you want to hunt. And, um, I guess knowing, talking to anybody, you know, in Colorado, any, um, networking you have there, that is kind of the first place I start when I'm hunting a new area. Dylan. 
Yeah. So kind of the same. And actually, you know, being born and raised in Montana, um, I'm quickly the more folks that I work with, um, such as Thomas there, the more I realize how just lucky I am to live in Montana. Um, so with that being said, like, you know, being born and raised here and growing up hunting, I am just now starting to kind of expand and apply for some, some non-resident Montana states. Um, there's just so much opportunity here, but really along with that, even within Montana, there's so many different, um, game management units and different mountain ranges and different areas you can hunt. So I'm actually kind of practicing that within, you know, my own home state of, for example, you can, with a general tag, you can hunt a ton of different units. Um, so like, like it was just stated there, you know, the first thing is definitely looking at the map and turning on, you know, that, that layer for those game management units for elk and figuring out, okay, which ones of those do I need to apply for? Where's a special permit and where's just a general, you know, general unit that I can go out there and, and try and fill that tag in. Um, so a lot of it here, obviously, you know, I've got some spots, but with that being said, I always like to go explore new spots that I haven't hunted before. So if I've got that map up and I can pull up, you know, on one screen or one side of my computer, um, all the general hunting units for Montana for Montana elk, then the other side, I've got the Onyx web map pulled up with that layer turned on, you know, you can quickly start checking units off. So, okay, that's unit 270, for example, that's a permit unit. I did not apply for that. So therefore I can't hunt there. So check that off and kind of process of elimination. Um, obviously using resources, using hunting buddies and just people who've been certain areas to, to give you hints when, when applicable is super beneficial. Um, but that's, that's definitely the, the route I go as well. And then just to go one step further, you know, if I've got a unit that I'm pretty comfortable with that I want to check out, maybe scout a little more, maybe I haven't put boots on the ground in that unit. I'm definitely going to turn on layers like the private lands and then the government lands just to see how much of that unit is public um, and then how much of that public is accessible. Because there's, you know, there's so many different units and there's so much public that I'm not personally going to waste a lot of time diving in and e-scouting a unit if the access is very tricky. Or, you know, for example, if I have to drive out there and try and get landowner permission to obtain that public. Um, I'm probably just going to scratch that off my list right away. Yeah, absolutely. And, and both of you, both of you hinted at this and uh, anything when it comes to um, starting something new, I'm a huge proponent of talking and asking other people. So um, if I know that Thomas or Dylan has hunted a unit that I might be going to, um, I'll call them and ask them, Hey guys, give me some tips. Give me some advice. Give me some tricks. Um, listen, it sounds silly, but but I've stopped at like Cabela's on my way in and said, hey, guys, this is where I'm headed. Anybody hunted there? And uh, you, you might get a guy pop up and say, hey, man, actually, uh, you know, we hunt there every year and, uh, you know, give you some tips and tricks. So do not be afraid to ask people for advice. Do not be afraid to ask people uh, for tips and tricks on the area you're hunting um, or maybe even for when you're when you're going specifically that time of year. Um, now, here's a million dollar question. And this this gets down to um, kind of just, uh, well, I'll just say it. Um, so what happens if you guys are going to hunt an area and you don't have the opportunity to, to, to get boots on the ground before your hunt? How do you kind of handle that? Um, oh man, I kind of going back to the point, I just, 
uh, we were just making. If I can't, if I know I can't get there, I'm obviously e-scouting as much, much as possible. Um, definitely know how to read topo lines. That is something that you can't take for granted. You can't just pop up the app for the first time and, oh, know exactly how steep everything. We've, me and my brother who run Identical Draw, we've gotten caught in a couple sticky situations before um, thinking that we can, uh, it'll be an easy hike, but it's not so much that way. We have also gone in season and just talked to game parks or park and wildlife uh, people, and they are very generous with their knowledge. Um, sometimes you'll get lucky. The reason I've killed an Idaho buck is simply because a nice lady um, that worked for their their game parks um, was like, oh yeah, I horseback all the time and we see giant bucks in this unit. Go check this out. So definitely utilize the the state resources. Yeah, and so my advice there would be have many plans. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, you're, you're scouting out a unit. Maybe you can, even if you can only hunt one unit, chances are there's going to be a lot of different like hunts that you could do within that unit. So have backups. And I even do this for places that I, that I know. So even if I'm going up, you know, making an hour, hour and a half drive to a, set up a camp in a spot I've been to before and found elk, you know, I might pull in there in the dark and there might be three vehicles parked at, you know, the trailhead that I want to hunt. So just have backup plans and don't be afraid to change plans kind of on the fly. Um, the other thing too, is if you go into an area and say you've got only five days to hunt that unit and in a day and a half to two days, you've seen very little sign, heard zero elk, you know, you've seen some pressure. Like I like to have several different plans that way I can be like, okay, I've explored this area or this area isn't going to work because there's too much pressure or whatever the reason being, or it's just not, especially if you're not able to get boots on the ground, you know, you get into an area and it's just not quite what you thought it was going to be. Have backup plans and quickly just scratch that one off the list and, and go check out a new area. I, I would say that's a great point that Dylan just made. Uh, knowing when to move on is probably one of the toughest things that hunters have to make like decision wise, uh, Western hunting it's just, you don't, you've used so much energy sometimes to get back into a spot. And if it's not good the first day or two, you really don't want to have to leave. But I think packing up sometimes and checking maybe a unit over or whatnot is a really good call. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I, I basically start and, and Dylan's already said it, but this is kind of how I set it up is I'll have like my number one, um, my number one place that I want to hit first and I'll have it, you know, marked as glass point one um and then i'll have glass point two and 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 you're right what what thomas said you're right is it's hard sometimes because you get to an area and you're like i know there's elk here like this just looks like there's elk here and so you glass for for a while and spend you know x amount of time and you don't see any elk you have to have that that discipline to say okay it's time to move on uh and maybe you know if it's a seven day hunt maybe you say we'll swing back by here day three if we still haven't located any uh, but you have to have that that discipline of, okay, I need to move on because I haven't seen any elk. I haven't found as much sign as I thought I would have. Um, but I, I have a bad habit of that. And I don't know about you, gentlemen, but I have a bad habit of that of, but this just looks like elk country. You know what I mean? Um, and, I, yeah. and I find myself stuck in a rut because I'm, you know, being being just hard-headed. Oh, I'm I'm absolutely guilty of that. And I know... I actually just watched a video with born and raised, um, you know, an elk hunting group that we also work with at Onyx. And 
like they said, and I completely agree is hunt the elk and not the spot. And, you know, one of the, one of the really good examples of that, and I've done this before, I'm sure several other people are guilty and then look back, you know, a year or two later and just scratch their head and think, why did I do that? But, you know, I've hiked past bugles at night to get to a specific spot on the map to set up camp just just because you know the year prior we were in there it's like man there was bulls screaming they were wallowing we got into so many elk up here there was less pressure well you know we spent basically a night hiking through some meadows and through a few miles of terrain to get to that spot that a year prior we were getting into elk and we were hearing bugles and you know we thought about setting up camp and trying to hunt those elk that were closer to the trailhead and then the little voice in the back of my head said, no, keep going. You know, it's better if you keep going that way, you know, it'll be less pressure, a little bit farther from the trailhead, et cetera. Well, we spent three days looking for, for a bull, you know, if we would have just stopped and hunted the, the herd that was close to the trailhead, you know, we'd be hunting elk and probably would have been an elk early the next morning. But so, you know, it just kind of goes back to what they said. It's hunt the elk and not the spot. Yeah, and, and on the flip side of that, you've got guys who, who change the, like they they glass one spot for twenty five minutes. Like, well, no, like, let's move on. Um, and you're like, whoa, slow down. You know what I mean? Uh, so you have to find that happy medium um, of we've exhausted this place. We've spent long enough. Um, there are no elk in this area, at least right now. Um, but on the flip side, we don't want to just ride off a spot and say, yep nothing here let's move on um so before i ask you the next question i do want to uh as we're talking about scouting um and, and we're going to kind of move into boots on the ground um one tip that i want to give you is a good pair of optics uh when you go to scout um a a spotting scope and a pair of binoculars um and so i would highly recommend my friends over at koa optics um i've been using those guys now for Oh, about five years, and 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 really, what happened was uh, I reached out to my friends at SNS Archery and was looking for some new optics, and that's what they recommended. Um, and I've never looked back. So, Koa Optics, in my opinion, are some of the highest uh, and best glass you could possibly buy. So, go check those guys out. Um, but, gentlemen, you've e scouted. Um, you've got you know five or six places where you really want to check out and go look. Um, boots on the ground, your first time in an area. What what do you start to do to digest this massive amount of land that you're about to, to look at? I guess my method for Colorado, um, I'm actually going to be heading there in a uh, Wednesday, Wednesday, I'm heading there for about 10 days. Um, basically what I do, uh, every year is just get high. I, I go to uh, 11,000, 12,000 feet. Um, and basically just pull out the spotter, just like you mentioned and, um, just scope, scope all around in the evenings and early in the morning. That's, that's always been my go-to. And let me just give a piece of, uh, I'm going to throw this in there too. Glass as slow as you possibly can. I mean, go so slow that you think you're going too slow. Um, because there's been times where, where, you know, I get bored and I get in a rush and I get in a hurry and I glass the side of a hill and, and I don't see anything. And then I look to a friend he's like, yep, yeah, dude, I saw two muleys, an elk and a bear. And I'm like, what? No, you didn't. Like I glassed this whole thing. He's like, you went too fast. And, and I'll go back and find everything that he mentioned. Uh, so just go slow, especially on an initial, on an initial scouting trip. Um, I just wanted to throw that in there. What do you got for us, Dylan? Yeah. So for me, I mean, 
Western Montana is primarily where I'm, you know, hunting elk. And most of the time I'm archery hunting elk is kind of, that's kind of my go-to. Now, if I were to be scouting for like a rifle tag, I would definitely approach it a little bit differently. But um, optics are definitely important. But a lot of the areas of Western Montana where I'm trying to call in elk, um, it's, it's very thick. So, you know, a lot of the areas I honestly don't even bring a spotting scope because there's just very, very little opportunity to utilize one. Um, so, you know, I glass where I can, but really if I'm going in to put boots on the ground pre preseason, pre archery season, for example, I'm really just kind of scouting for cows. Um, and the, the reason there, you know, I've got some areas where I can go into consistently in September and there will be bulls in there. But if I train or if I hang trail cameras in that area all summer, you know, even July, August, all you get in those areas are cows and calves. You never, ever see a bull. And so a lot of times, yeah, a lot of times those bulls are going to be off doing their own thing, higher elevation, still in the bachelor groups, um, secluded, just deep, dark holes, you know, both preseason and post. But a lot of the times, you know, people, I feel like get caught up trying to find the bulls in August and July. And if you find the cows, those cows aren't going to go seek out the bulls. Those cows aren't going to, you know, go six drainages over to find a bull. But that bull that's six drainages over is sure going to come try and find those cows. So a lot of the times I'm, you know, if I do utilize trail cameras, I'm going to put them on like water sources, main trails. Um, I don't use trail cameras a lot. I have up in the past a few different times but really just trying to find elk sign and those cows um and really just that's kind of what i key in on yeah man and that is a a fantastic piece of advice you need to scout where the elk are going to be not where they're at um and, and man you know in correlation with with deer hunting um think about it this way my my best deer lease here in kansas I can have cameras out 365 days a year and I will not see a buck until last week of October, 1st of November. Will not see a buck. But that is my very best hunting lease to kill a mature buck um, because it holds a lot of does. It's against a riverbed. Uh, it's against a riverbank. So it's heavily trafficked during the rut. And so it becomes my best hunting lease even though I don't see an, uh, a, a, a buck on it year round. Um, so we have to scout and we have to understand where the deer are going to be when we're hunting them, not, not where they're at right now. So, um, that's an awesome piece of advice, man. Anything else we try to remember? Um, what, what kind of signs are you looking for, uh, when scouting elk? So if I'm going into like a new spot, like I already will have done a lot of e-scouting and I'll have studied the maps and look at topo, look at different, um, layers try and find all the water sources and have all those laid out so i'm not just you know rolling up to a trailhead and taking off hiking down the trail um you know i've got different areas i want to check out i've got waypoints for possible elk wallows waypoints for possible water sources you know some bench waypoints for possible um you know areas where they might bed on like a north facing um timber pocket etc so i've got all that information that i've already looked at um, the, either the app or online and marked waypoints for all those. So I'm kind of just checking, checking those spots. So if I got, say I put a waypoint, I'm e scouting out an area and I put a waypoint on like a good open South facing, um, 
park or just mountainside where I think, you know, it might be a possible feed location. And then on the north side of that ridge, there's a bench. I look at the topographic data and there's a really nice bench where it looks like some thick timber. So I might mark like a bedding area there. Um, so when I go in there, I'm just going to put boots on the ground and check those off. So I'm looking for obviously just the, the most obvious would be like tracks, elk sign, elk scat. Um, you know, if I can smell elk in the area, if it smells elky, they've definitely been there relatively recent. Um, and just kind of verifying what I thought previously when I'm marking all those waypoints, you know, I might hike down to that bench to see what it looks like. Um, or go to where on the map, it looks like there's a water source, a little, um, pond for possible drinking and go down to that pond and see, okay, is it dry this year? What's, what's the activity look like? And just kind of firsthand, um, you know, visually inspect everything that I was planning. Yeah. I'll, I'll jut in here. Um, kind of what Dylan's saying, uh, I guess my relation to it is just as, as a big whitetail hunter, um, the QDMA now NDA guys are always like ground truth, ground truth, your, your public ground that you're going to be hunting. So it's the same thing with elk is if you're doing a lot of e-scouting, I go and check exactly what Dylan's saying. Like, is there water actually here? Is this, is this a wallow or is, or is this a spring? Like, what am I looking at? And then my biggest thing is setting those waypoints. Um, looking back at those waypoints that I set during season last year, that's my biggest thing is. I always seem to come across so many more things when I'm actually walking the woods, elk hunting, than when I'm actually preseason scouting. So I go back to all those what those waypoints, whether it's a wallow or just like a heavily used area, um, maybe a lot of cow use. Um, because like you guys are getting at, it's fun to get eyes on big bulls, but they're not going to be there in a month and a half. So finding those cows and going to those spots that you dinged on Onyx. Um, just the fall before that's, I love setting up cams in those spots because I know eventually those, those cows are there currently, but those bulls are going to be heading to those spots soon. Do you gentlemen use trail cameras at all? I've used, uh, just one in the past. I have, um, and you know, I usually set those up like on wallows or water sources. If I know, you know, I know a few pretty local trails that the elk use heavily when they're in an area. So I might go set one up there, but I do, I, I have a pretty hard time just going into a unit and utilizing trail cameras. And I'm not, not sure why. Um, I just, I haven't utilized those, especially to their full potential yet. Um, so I might, I've got a few that are in my garage right now. And I was actually just thinking the other day of, of possible areas I could go set those up at, but Again, really, you know, if I set up a trail camera now, what I'm hoping to uh, to find out is are those cows in that area? Um, so, you know, it, it's fun to look at those pictures and and see what's going on in that area. And I think they are a useful tool. Um, I just don't have a ton of personal experience with them. So you would be more of using the trail cameras to see what kind of elk are in an area, not necessarily to locate the elk. Yeah. So, I mean, if I were to go set up trail cameras, I'd probably set them up in an area that say I found elk in last year, that way, right before season or first part of the season, I could go check them, say, okay, the elk are in this area. Now let's hunt them. And I think for me personally, um, complete personal preference, but for me and trail cameras, I like to be extremely mobile. 
um, a lot of the times we'll just cruise around and, and bugle into different canyons and just see where we can locate a bolt even at nighttime. And so trail cameras, I feel like, you know, you have to go back to that area and you have to pull those cameras. And a lot of the times, like, you know, we'll just cover ground and cover country until we find a bull that's fired up and is bugling. So, um, yeah, it's just, it's just an area I haven't explored much, but I, I probably should look into it a little bit more. So is there anything that you would say as a new hunter, I wish I would have known this when I started elk hunting and, and in terms of scouting, I wish I would have, I wish somebody would have told me this, uh, when I began scouting for elk. I guess I would say what Dylan's point was, is, is find the cows. Um, you think you need to find the, the big bulls, but finding the cows is what's going to help you in September. I would say, and I know we already kind of talked on this one too, but I would go back to having multiple plans. So, you know, the first few years that I was elk hunting, um, you know, you scout out this area. It looks incredible, right? There's a, a beautiful meadow down in the bottom. There's thick cover, cover for bedding. You know, you've got water, you've got food a couple miles, at least away from a trailhead or, um, any other access. So it's going to be a little bit difficult to get into. So I would find an area like that and just kind of get fixated on it. Um, you know, it's like, there's gotta be elk here. This is like the most amazing country that I've found for a hundred miles in every direction. And then you get there and if it's not working out, just have other areas that you can just bail out of that spot and go check something else out. And I think for me, it took several years to, to kind of be okay with leaving a spot that, that I think is really good to go find the elk. Yeah. I, again, man, I told you I struggle with that. <laughs> so, uh, um, well, I told you guys that you were both going to have to end with an elk hunting story. So Thomas, I want you to tell me the, the story of the first elk you ever shot. And then Dylan, your most memorable elk hunt. So whatever reason it was memorable, uh, whatever made it memorable. Um, but whichever one of you want to start, I want two elk hunting stories that'll just rock my world. I better start because I know Dylan's killed a lot bigger elk than I have. So <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess my first one ever, it's a special one, but really simple. Um, hunting Southern Colorado. And we we basically did an, a really easy, we decided to check out this new spot um, that we had just kind of heard about. And we've, we've walked it actually during the summer, didn't see any elk sign though. So we hadn't hunted it yet. And it was really early September. I think that year we got out like, I want to say August 30th and we were only going to be able to hunt till like the fifth or the sixth. So we were just trying to catch an, an early season bull, but, uh, we were going to take a cow cause it was our first ever year elk hunting. We Midwest boys, we just wanted the elk meat in the freezer. And sure enough, um, we just kept call, cow calling in, the, in this pretty actually decent sized meadow. And as it's getting dark, uh, my brother Nate actually wanted to pack up and head out. But I was like, let's just stick it out till dark. And sure enough, we got a couple cows that were able to come down into the meadow. And they literally just cut straight across to us um, like 300 yards. And we were able to get a shot in one. So that's that's always been the memory that I love. That's awesome, man. Yeah. It's, it's always awesome when you get to do it with, you know, a brother or a dad or, uh, you know, just a, a really good friend. It's always, it always makes it that much more special. Oh yeah, definitely. What do you got for us, Dylan? So mine, mine definitely would, would, uh, be my first elk as well. Um, actually first bull. 
Um, so basically I had, uh, I had shot a, a cow with my rifle, I think when I was about 15 years old, but growing up in Eastern Montana, you know, we, we hunted elk, but it was kind of a, a rare occurrence. You know, we'd get out for like maybe a long weekend and try and find some elk or something. And it was something I always wanted to do more. Um, but we were definitely mostly hunting like, you know, mule deer, antelope, uh, whitetails. And so our first probably real elk hunt, um, I was, I think I was 18 or 19 years old. Um, and we did a pack in hunt in the mountains. And really, I mean, at the time I had very, very little, um, to no experience, you know, calling an elk and just experiencing the whole thing. You know, we had kind of stumbled our way into a, a few bulls by then, um, more or less on accident, if you will. Um, but this was kind of the first big elk hunt, week long elk hunt. And, uh, so I think it was, I believe it was a seven day hunt. And on the sixth day, the sixth evening, you know, we had gotten into some bulls and had a couple of close encounters and we're just trying to figure this area out. Um, and I was with my dad and my uncle. Um, but that day my uncle and I had split up and, uh, you know, again, this, we were very, very green to, uh, to elk hunting and really their behavior. So a lot of the times we would you know, and this kind of goes back to another tip of like the actual hunting elk portion, but a lot of times we would hunt the bulls or hunt the elk in the morning, kind of go back to camp or take a nap during midday. And then in the evening, try and get, get back on them again. So we were far enough away this day from camp that, um, you know, we just stayed out there and it was about noon actually. And we'd been working a bull and he shut up below us and we just figured, all right, well, he grabbed his cows and he's off bedded somewhere. And uh, so we kind of just sat there and we were looking at the maps and trying to figure out the best plan of attack for the rest of our day and how to get back to, to camp um, and kind of hunt our way back. And about that time, a bull uh, bugled below us. And this is like 1230, one in the afternoon. And he bugled probably 200, 250 yards below us. Um, and so we just kind of looked at each other, thought that was kind of a strange time of day for a bull to be bugling. Um, as I said, we weren't real experienced at the time. And, uh, anyways, I, I grabbed my bow and got out in front of my uncle and he, he started bugling and that bull covered, he was straight down below us. And it was probably one of the steepest mountains I've ever either ascended or descended. And my uncle bugled and started raking a tree behind me. And in no time that bull bugled again, and he had to have been probably under 80 yards. And so I knew for sure he was coming at that point. Um, and I kind of got set up and before I knew it, he was so close below me that I could hear him just breathing. I could just hear his lungs almost, um, as he was breathing and he was walking straight up to me. And by the time I saw him, he had to be like 15 yards or so he was walking straight toward me. And the only reason he turned is there was a little spruce tree in front of me, probably about eight to 10 yards. And he walked all the way to that tree stopped bugled in my face basically and then turned and walked um would have been to my right and he stopped about eight yards from me broadside and yeah. bugled. yeah by that time i was already full draw and like i said first bowl um and it was just such a crazy experience you know it was a while ago and i don't think i'll ever no matter how many bulls or how many other elk that i am lucky enough to harvest i don't think i'll ever forget that one just how close he was and bugling in my face at eight yards and um you know at the time and still to this day any elk with a bow especially i feel like is a trophy and you know we always joke here um 
you know, all we're looking for in Montana is a spike with a four inch brow tine because that's really all that makes him <laughs> legal. And so we joke about that. And I've been, you know, extremely blessed and have harvested a few nice bulls and that one being one of them, but, um, kind of just got lucky. He, he was the one to walk in front of me, but yeah, so he stopped eight yards broadside and, uh, I shot and right away I knew it was, I knew it was perfect. Um, I could see the fletchings barely sticking out as he turned and he, uh, turned, ran down and 30 yards, um, down, I cow called and he stopped and just tipped over right there. So it was, it was the first one. And that was really the one that just got me extremely hooked. That is awesome, man. It's, it's always, if you've never experienced hearing an elk bugle, you have to, um, you absolutely have to. And especially when, like you said, when they're right in your face, it's just something you can't explain it to anybody. No amount of like, watch this video. No amount of that will ever show somebody really what you feel when an elk just lets one rip right in front of you. Um, and so I would, I would encourage you if you've ever considered elk hunting guys, um, go give it a shot this year. Um, you can hunt relatively cheap in Colorado, uh, buying over the counter tags and going on public land and doing it yourself. You can hunt elk relatively cheap. Um, so I would encourage you to go out and give it a try. It is an absolute blast and I promise you it'll change your perspective on hunting, uh, forever if you've never done it. So, um, before we go, I do want to, to just encourage you, um, if you are going to tackle an elk hunt, if, if, if this is something where you think I I really want to try this, um, Onyx is an invaluable tool. So, um, get Onyx, give it a shot, give it a try. Um, at least, at least try their free trial, um, and just kind of get acquainted with that. But, but when you go into the mountains and you head out West, uh, for any kind of hunt out West in the mountains, it's absolutely vital. Um, I use it daily here in Kansas for deer hunting, uh, but out West it, it, it's, it's vital. So make sure and give those guys, uh, a, a look if you have it. Um, and then before we go, I just need to give a quick shout out to our friends over at minus 33 Merino wool. Um, they produce some of the best Merino, um, on planet earth. So if you're headed out West and, uh, and, and you're looking for clothes to wear minus 33, uh, produces some absolutely incredible Merino. So go give those guys a look. But guys, thank you so much for listening. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you for sharing your knowledge on elk hunting with us. But until next week, I hope you guys have an awesome week. Go out and shoot your bow. Uh, start scouting for elk on, on, on your phone or on your computer using Onyx and get ready for September. But you guys have an awesome week and thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Dylan. <laughs>